0: Uh, This psalm, uh, Psalm 23, is a psalm that you have no doubt heard your entire life. Uh, Perhaps you've put it to memory at one point in your life and you can still recite it. Uh, To me it's become something, uh, a psalm that has uh, meant more to me over the last two weeks than I think it ever has. Let me start by saying this though. Modern medicine is something that I find absolutely astonishing. (laughs) The things that uh, doctors can do, physicians can do, uh, in a not just an operating room, but just in, uh, in a hospital in general, are both maddening, I think, and also marvelous. Uh, those two things, I think, have hit me recently. Uh, I marvel at the idea that just two weeks ago, I can have my entire knee surgically removed and also replaced, and I can go home that same day, I went home the same night, Uh, uh, believe it or not, which is kind of crazy when I think about that. (laughs) Or think about Sherry Kelly's sister. Sherry isn't with us this morning, but her sister Anne Murray recently had her liver removed and replaced with someone else's liver, which is that's just, that just boggles the mind to me that we as a society have advanced to this point in our technology and our advances in science that we are able to do operations of those sorts of things. But even still, I think, as I have experienced recently, there's still a sort of maddening aspect to modern medicine that I just can't seem to get over. (laughs) I've chatted about this with a few of you as I've relayed my story, uh, my experience at the hospital recently for knee surgery. Uh, But this sort of thing that I can't get around is the fact that as medicine has advanced to become, quote, more efficient, it has also lost a little bit of its humanness too. Hospitals, at least in my experience, have lost their humanness. Let me, tell, let me try and explain what I mean by that. So uh, when we went to the hospital on Tuesday, September 29th, we were going there for my surgery. We check in at the surgery check-in desk. and We check in. We're waiting. I'm waiting to go to the triage station, that very first place you go to before you go into surgery. And yet, because of Everything that's going on in our country and all the new regulations and restrictions. I walk from the triage station to the pre-surgery check-in station on the next floor up by myself with this little card in hand that says present this to the person and they'll know why you're there. And then I go through all of the pre-op procedures with all the nurses poking and prodding me and doing all those sorts of things by myself And I'm wheeled from that pre-op into the OR by myself. No one around me or with me or anything like that. So the last time I was able to see Natalie was in the waiting room downstairs before I go upstairs into pre-surgery. And I can assure you uh, that that wasn't the most comforting thing. I've been through surgeries before and and, uh, having someone with you while this army of nurses and physicians are coming around you and doing all sorts and all manner of things to your body, as they're preparing you for surgery, it's a lot more comforting when you have someone with you. Uh, I didn't have that luxury this time. I was by myself, and for whatever reason, I was, as I was, as it got closer and closer to uh, go into the operating room, as that time drew nearer and nearer, my anxiety levels were getting higher and higher. For whatever reason, I just I couldn't I couldn't calm myself down, and yet through all of that, as this, that, and the other nurse was coming around me, one thought kept going through my head. One thing, for whatever reason, the Lord puts in my brain Psalm twenty three. I was sitting in pre op. Getting my IV taken, which this nurse didn't really know how to do it very well. It really hurt. Um, I've, anyways, it didn't feel very good. But when she was doing that, I kept repeating, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And he leadeth me beside the still waters. The whole time Psalm 23 was going over and over in my head. And I'm not going to lie to you if that I got all the words right. I don't think I did. <laughs> I think I misplaced some of the verses I was getting on pain meds. So, you know, I think that's an excuse. But even then, I don't even think that mattered. To me, it didn't matter in the moment. It didn't matter that I wasn't getting all the words right. And I don't think it mattered to God either, necessarily. What mattered, I think, in that moment is that the words of Scripture... Were assuring me that even though I was alone, there was one who was with me. That even though that I was in a place in which I definitely too felt like I was in the valley of the shadow of death. There was one who had never left my side. This good shepherd. This one who promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That felt all the more real. As I was getting ready for surgery. Yes my loneliness on the hospital bed was overcome and overwhelmed by my sense of this shepherd's presence. And I am so incredibly thankful for that. That there was this shepherd who was with me. And it's to that truth this morning. I don't want to speak to you. The shepherd's enduring presence. Psalm 23, I don't think, needs any real elaborate introduction. Again, as I uh, iterated before, you uh, have, are so probably familiar with the psalm, you can recite it. I would hasten to say it's likely the f- most famous chapter in all the Bible. Maybe perhaps a close second would be John chapter 3. But Psalm 23 evokes this incredible sense of strength and peace and encouragement. And it's offering to you in this psalm that is uh, worded in its language is so simple. That it can uh, suit nearly every single need. Any imaginable circumstance that you and I could ever face. And it's that I want to speak to this morning. I want to draw your attention to three truths this morning. That I am confident that will encourage you, no matter what you are enduring, whether you're recovering from surgery, (laughs) whether you're facing surgery, whether you are facing a really difficult decision. Whether you are enduring and undergoing a severe sort of swell of emotions, the likes of which you have never faced before. Whether you have lost someone, whatever you're going through, Psalm 23 has words for where you are. Words that I think we all need to hear. So the first truth this morning. Comes in verses 1 through 3. Which I think is this. The shepherd's calming presence. The shepherd's calming presence. Notice what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake as i recite these verses read them this incredible sense of calm sort of envelops me every time the words that david pens here are words that evoke such a sense of comfort and calmness that is hard to elude them And there are several phrases that the psalmist uses to inspire this calmness. This calm sense of presence. But none so powerful I think as the very first phrase. Notice he says. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice who David identifies who his shepherd is. It is the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He puts it into the personal And notice he says it's the Lord, none other than Jehovah God himself, the Lord of all things. This is the one David here is attesting is the fact the one who is shepherding him through all of his highs and lows, through all of the deep, dark valleys through which he has traversed is the Lord Jehovah, the I am. That's who is shepherding him, who is leading him. Think about David's life. We don't necessarily know when he penned this psalm. Me personally as I read this. It it evokes this sort of sense that he's writing it from a sense of looking back. Looking back on all of the times that this shepherd was with him. And who led him through all of those incredible valleys. David. David's life. I'm always marveling at David's life. He's anointed by the prophet Samuel and then his life is turned upside down. And he goes on the run from the very king to, uh, the king that he is supposedly looking up to. He's a fugitive, fugitive of the very kingdom that he is supposed to rule one day that he has been anointed to be the king of. He takes takes refuge in caves hiding, hiding for his very life in the deepest, darkest valleys. David cried out in the deepest, darkest valleys. You know who shepherded him? The Lord. The I am, the Lord of all things, the creator. Such is what allows David to say as he follows that up. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It literally translates, I lack nothing. Think about how that must have been a developing thought in David's life. He's on the run, yes. He lacks many things, yes. But it's the presence of the I am that is with him, that allows him to say, that provides all that is necessary. I don't lack anything. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd and he is with me. This I have come to know truly. Greatly, deeply, is that there is nothing more calming than knowing this, that the one who spoke and the universe came into existence, the one who sustains, yes, the deepest, distant galaxy in the palms of his hands, the one who holds the stars in their suspension. The one who appoints all of the times and the seasons that our creation goes through in their appropriate order is the same one who is shepherding you and me in our daily lives. As we read out of Psalm 95, the Lord is our maker and our maker is the one who is leading us, who is shepherding us, who is infinitely and intimately caring for you. He is with you this morning. He is shepherding you, and he delights in you, and he desires the very best for you. Notice, notice again. It's not just that he shepherds us, but notice as he confesses here the shepherd. This shepherd shepherds us, leads us, as he says in verse two, into green pastures and beside still waters. A wonderful, wonderful, evocative verse. Lead here in verse 2 is a little bit different there in lead from verse 3. So the lead in verse 3 as he says he restores my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. Literally means what you think it does. Lead, guide, uh, go before. But in verse 2 lead there in the Hebrew is a little bit different. It's a slight variance of the same word. It actually is more indicative and suggestive of a more intentional sort of leadership. It actually means to lead with care. Which is suggestive of this shepherd's objective in his shepherding. He's leading us with intention and purpose to bring us to his station of place or his station or place of rest. He's leading us into his green pastures, into his most intimate place of abode and rest. This is what he's doing. He is leading us to lie down, to stretch out into his place of quietness, into his place of rest. Into his place of stillness. This is what the shepherd is doing. All throughout your life and mine. He is steering us. Guiding us. Leading us. Going before us. Leading us with an intentional caring hand. To lead us into his place of rest. It's his green pastures. It's a word that means. It sort of is suggestive of the deepest place his The bowels, so to speak. His abode. His habitation. That's where he wants us to recline. That's where he wants us to lie down. In his place of calm. Which is closer and closer to his side. And this is where we get to see this wonderful, matchless heart of God. God's shepherding of us is not something that he does reluctantly. Your shepherd... Is not a reluctant shepherd. He's not an annoyed shepherd. He's not a frustrated perturbed shepherd. He is a shepherd who delights in you. He delights to restore you. Notice he says in verse 3. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. His deepest Delight is to shepherd wayward, fickle, and frequently lost sheep into his place of rest. That's what he delights to do. It isn't something that he does out of necessity, it isn't something that he does after being convinced or coerced into doing it. He delights to shepherd, he delights to lead. He delights to lead you with purpose into his place of rest, which is his paths of righteousness. It brings him no greater joy than to do that, to restore our souls. This is the heart of our maker, the heart of our shepherd. Who comes after lost sheep without drudgery, but with delight. I'm getting ahead of myself a little But this is our wonderful, boundless, comforting, calming shepherd who is pleased when he is able, as he says there, to restore our souls. To turn us back. To walk in these paths of righteousness. And this is his ultimate purpose. That we would walk after him in these paths. Because walking the paths of righteousness necessarily implies a close connection to him. And this is what God desires. Nothing more than any of our lives. That we'd be close to him. He desires closeness. He desires relationship. He desires to lead us into his place of calm. Any place of calm that we manufacture for ourselves will very soon be made to see that it's fake, it's fickle, it's frail, it cannot last, it'll dissipate quicker than steam. Jesus' place of calm. Is a green pasture in which we can stretch out. We can lie down. And take our rest. Here David is confessing his sense of calmness. In the presence of his great shepherd. And I pray that you are too. It assures you that this is God's heart. This is God's intention. His intentions for you and me are always better than the intentions that we have for ourselves. That's sometimes hard to believe. Do you believe that God is leading you into a place of rest? That God actually has a purpose for what he is bringing you through? That's hard to see. That's hard to know. But such is why we have number two. The shepherd's calming presence, number two. The shepherd's comforting presence. Look at verse four. The shepherd's comforting presence, David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. These verses, verses 4 and 5, verse 4 especially, is somewhat. I think necessarily too vague. Think about it. what does it mean to really walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Valley here if you look it up is, is, is a Hebrew word which is suggestive of a deep and steep and very narrow gorge. Something that's very ominous and distressing. And such is too this phrase shadow of death and implies this extreme scene of danger. You can imagine someone walking through this very narrow gorge and being assailed on all sides. But I think trying to define these terms in a very literal sense actually makes these terms lose a little bit of their power. It's not just a literal narrow gorge that you're walking through. This valley of the shadow of death is necessarily imprecise. Why? Because this comforting presence of the shepherd is applicable and effectual and powerful for every single season of distress you or I could ever endure in this life. It's not just this or just that. Every season of distress. Losing a job. Losing a loved one. you Losing a significant other. Going through a difficult season in your marriage. Going through a breakup. Going through a hard time in your school. Getting a flat tire. Getting a paper cut. This comforting presence isn't uh, sort of relegated to just great things. Small or great. There's no type of difficulty imaginable in which our shepherd is not there beside us comforting us by his presence. You can bank on that. He is comforting us all the time. No matter the season of life. And this is the truth that I find the most sweet in this entire psalm. And it's something that I don't think we often recognize in our English Bibles. You know, this, the Old Testament, for, except for a very few sparse parts, was written in Hebrew. And here in the Hebrew scriptures, Psalm 23 is actually comprised of 55 words. Just 55. And actually, there's a phrase that sits in the exact middle of the entire psalm. There's 26 words before and there's 26 words after. Three words sit in the middle. And it's five in the English. You know what that phrase is? For thou art with me. In the middle of David's praising of this shepherd, you know what is the most uh, sort of most intimate, most powerful, most true thought that he had? Is that this shepherd was with him. He was with him no matter what. This Lord, this Jehovah, David knew who was with him. David knew whose presence that he could not escape. David knew who was walking beside him through this valley of the shadow of death. Even in the deepest season of agony, in the deepest, most severe time of distress. Even, yes, as he says in verse 5, in the presence of his enemies, he would fear no evil. Why? Because of the one who was with him. The one who was beside him. This, to me, is a thought that speaks to me so deeply, so intimately. Intimately. Because God does not depart from you or from me no matter how dark the days may get. He does not leave. Just know that Jesus is a better friend than any friend you will ever have in this life. Jesus is no fair weathered friend. Who's only with you when the seasons are sunny and bright and everything is going well. Jesus is a bad weather friend actually. Your shepherd is with you, yes, even through those very uh, dark seasons, dark days. Days in which you feel like there's no hope, no ability to move forward. He does not run at the first sign of trouble or difficulty. He walks with you through the trouble or difficulty. This is what makes him a friend unlike any other. This makes him a God, a maker unlike any other. See, God, he isn't the type of God who is ahead of us, calling us forward, that we may reach him one day. He is a God who walks with us in the midst of the storm, in the midst of life's darkest days. He is walking beside us, with us, through them. He is a savior, as he says in Hebrews chapter 4, who is not unfamiliar with our sufferings. He is intimately aware of all of our distress. All of the ways that we can be depressed or discouraged or betrayed or uh, yes, even crucified. Jesus knows them. He suffered for them. This Lord of all, he is your shepherd. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing at all possible or imaginable that can make you, him depart from you. He is your comforter. He is your bad weathered friend. Which brings me to the last thought. Which comes in verses 5 and 6. The shepherd's calming presence. The shepherd's comforting presence. And lastly. The shepherd's continuing presence. Notice what he says. Thou preparest a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice the image of these verses changes drastically compared to the four before them. Verses 1 through 4. David has been meditating on the idea that this Lord is his shepherd. The one who is leading him. But he switches gears here to meditate here on the Lord as this wonderful host. The host of this incredible meal. Of this table that is spread out before him. It's not entirely different necessarily. Because this is what the shepherd is shepherding us into. He's leading us into his place of rest. Which is the place of this incredible feast. A massive table spread with all the blessings that come from the Lord of all things. And David even acknowledges that even in the presence of his enemies, the presence of this matchless host far outweigh any sort of circumstance that happens. Why? Because in the presence of this host, he says, my cup runneth over. Blessings are overflowing. Even in the presence of his enemies. He is oversaturated, utterly satisfied with blessings, and this is where the table is set up. He finds these blessings even in the presence of his enemies. Why? Because the shepherd is continually with him, continually present. But that's not all because there is much that is promised to us in verse 6. It might make us think of something that happens later on at the end of all things perhaps. But there is much I think that is promised to us. That is promised to us right here and now. This surely goodness and mercy will follow me. All the days of my life. And here again I think is another failure perhaps. Failure but failure of the English translation of our scriptures. There's failure only because we have English. In the Hebrew, that word follow means something far more evocative than follow. It actually means to pursue, to chase, to run after, literally implying that goodness and mercy, the goodness and mercy of God, hunt us down. They don't just follow us willy-nilly, like you're trying to track someone. They track us with purpose and intent like a dog after a fox. He is hunting us down to lead us into his goodness and mercy to shepherd us into his place of rest. This is God's heart for you. He doesn't want you to wander on your own. He hunts you down to lead us into his place of abode and rest. He comes in search of us. The continuing presence. And notice that this hunting of God, this hunting of mercy and goodness, it happens, notice, all the days of my life. It's continual, never ceasing, never stopping, never uh, uh, abating in the hunt until it has what it wants. This reminds me of a very famous poem. Perhaps you've heard of it, perhaps you've not. Called The Hound of Heaven, written by a guy named Francis Thompson, who was a poet in the days of G.K. Chesterton and J.R.R. R. Tolkien. He was very contemporary, a very good friends with both of those gentlemen over in England. Thompson, though, battled a life that was plagued with not just illness, but also bouts with addiction. And he pours this sort of vacillating uh, sort of life between illness and addiction and spirituality and faith. And he describes it in this poem called The Hound of Heaven. In which he describes God's relentless chase of his own soul. Like a hound after a hare. Listen to what he says. I fled him. I fled God down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. In the midst of tears, I hid from him. And then in this moment, in this moment, the poem changes. And he describes how goodness and mercy chases him. Listen, he says, nigh and nigh draws the chase. With unperturbed pace and deliberate speed and majestic instancy. And past those noised feet a voice comes yet more fleet. Lo not content thee who is content not in me. This is the shepherd. Who hunts us down like a hound of heaven. Who comes after us with goodness and mercy. This is God's heart for us. God's heart is that he could lead us. Shepherd us into his presence. His presence of rest. His presence of goodness. His presence of mercy. This is the presence of our shepherd. This is the promise that we have in the scriptures. The promise of the gospel. We have the promise that a shepherd comes after us. Who chases us down. A shepherd who will not let us shake him off. I have that picture in my mind's eye. And when the shepherd grabs us, that we are oftentimes like a toddler who doesn't want to be held by its parent. Who's squirming and trying to get out of the hands. But our shepherd is a comforting, calming shepherd. Who holds us in our arms. And the more we shake, the more we squirm, he holds us closer and dearer and firmer to his heart. The shepherd's presence endures for us. These were the thoughts that were running through my mind. As I faced a life-altering surgery. I pray that these thoughts. Speak to you whether you're facing whatever you're facing. There's. No escaping the fact that this year, 2020, has been a year in which it seems like we've been living in the valley of the shadow of death for five years. But through it all, there's a shepherd whose presence has never left and it never will. He is always with you. The shepherd is is there. Let us pray.